Welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf, the CEO and founder of the Innovative Leadership Institute. Welcome to the Connex Executive Insight Series. Today, our guest is Michelle Sanchez-Bickley of Renown Health. Michelle, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. I have been with Renown Health for almost 20 years now. In July, it'll be 20 years, but I've been in HR my whole career, so I'm sure I'm dating myself at this point. But I started on the East Coast with my education in University of Maryland, Prospect State University, actually, smaller state school. And I wanted to do law school initially. From that, I ended up with a poli-sci and justice studies major and Spanish and social minor and thought, what am I going to do from here? But I always loved dealing with people and solving problems and realized that really from some of my schooling, when I did end up doing a lot of activities within college, a lot of that was recruitment related. So I had moved to Atlanta with my soon-to-be husband that I had met in college and went to Georgia State University to finish my master's degree. And that was when the Olympic Games were there. So I was recruiting for a staffing agency that we recruited for the 96 Olympic Games. And so that was kind of my first stomping ground into HR, and I just absolutely loved it. From there, though, I'm originally a West Coast girl, so I knew that I would end up back on the West Coast after I finished my master's degree. My husband and I took the adventure, drove across country, and came back to where I was originally from, which is California. But he's an East Coast guy, and I'm a West Coast girl, and California was a little bit of sticker shock even way back when. So when it was time for us to take a look at new roles, being in HR, you get hit with a lot of different things at any given time. And I was in a financial industry. I was right during the dot-com bust. While I knew I had to take care of the team when we were doing different layoffs, I also knew that it was going to be my turn after I did that. So we looked for other opportunities in different areas of the country that would meet both the East Coast and West Coast feel and ended up in Nevada. And I've been with Renown ever since. And it's been an amazing journey. I love HR and I really have come to enjoy healthcare, which was new to me when I came to Beautiful. Thank you. Today, Michelle joins me to discuss how to develop your culture as a result of better connecting the dots between employee communication, engagement, and development. How to bring new employees into that paradigm by working with community resources. How the development of those employees can propel business strategy and be a retention tool. And the importance of practical strategies for doing all of that within a crisis. Michelle, you're with a healthcare organization, and we're, depending on which experts you listen to, either in the midst of the COVID pandemic or coming out of one of the waves of the COVID pandemic. Before we jump into talking about talent attraction and retention, just describe a little bit of your life in a healthcare organization I was in a conversation the other day with a healthcare leader who said you're expecting about a 30% drop in some categories of employees like nurses between retirement and people leaving organizations. You've got higher bed occupation. You may not have people coming into the field as quickly. You're kind of in the middle of a big problem and you're supposed to fix it. That is the goal, right? And of course, when you deal with humans anyway, you're already in an unpredictable environment, really. And then you add a pandemic and you add healthcare and you're in the middle of everything within your community. It has been a challenge for sure. Just a little bit about Renown. We are almost about 7,000 employees and we're the only integrated healthcare network here in Northern Nevada and the only not-for-profit network. So we have that going on as well. But as you mentioned, 
it's not just nurses and doctors, which is what people sometimes associate hospitals with. It's every discipline in between. So environmental services, you know, housekeeping, customer service, IT, HR, accounting, finance, and pharmacy. I'm going to miss everybody, but it's truly a community within a community to run a healthcare team. So all the teams are really impacted by the pandemic. And it is true. We have seen turnover greater than we typically have. I would say during the heat of the pandemic in the first wave, that wasn't the case. You know, everybody really just kind of dug in and said, what do we need to do? Let's do it. And we have a phenomenal group of teams, no matter where they sit. And they did just that. A matter of fact, the original two weeks to slow the curve was the request of healthcare to do what you can to prepare because none of us knew really what to expect. And our organization actually chose to build a hospital within our parking garage. And so we were equipped to build up to 1,500 beds. And we did that within 10 days, which was really kind of unheard of. And you would have never thought that we could pivot that fast to make it happen. But it was every group that helped us do that. You had warehouse workers, you had our EVS, you had HR in there putting together cots, putting together. I mean, it was a true team effort. Thankfully, we didn't really have to use that to the degree that we built. But you talk about really flipping lives upside down. And that's what that team did. Now, as the pandemic has gone on, staff is tired. They're burned out. They are wanting to take a break, yet it's hard to give them a break because the openings are there and the patients are still coming. And healthcare is a sport where they really care about what they do and about their patients and their coworkers. So to not take those shifts, even when they're tired, I think there's a guilt to that. And so we worry from the burnout perspective. We have, though, seen some exit the healthcare field at this point, more retirees that probably have been delaying retirement and now have gone to retire. The other phenomenon on the clinical side is because a lot of organizations have now had to use travelers, the traveler rates of pay are so significant that staff leave to go travel because they can make a huge amount of money going anywhere in the country. So there's all kinds of dynamics at play, but we're seeing the same thing even within the non-traditional frontline care where staff are really deciding, what do I want to do and where in the country might I want to live? I don't want to be away from my family again. So people who maybe had family in other parts of the country are really rethinking their lives. And in some cases, they're moving to where their families are. So it's been kind of a perfect storm of everything, I think. But I'm really proud of the team that's here and even those who have left because they've been amazing. And who knows, we may be able to recruit some back in the future and we will welcome them back. You know, it's an interesting point that we don't talk about in this whole great resignation that people lost family members during COVID. And a lot of people with kids being home more and the range of disruptions living closer to family, one, because you just want to be closer to family, but two, the extended family network and helping care for children and elderly parents. It does seem like a lot of people are reprioritizing, how does work fit in my life and who am I in the context of all of this? And I think too, you know, in a normal sense, healthcare is hard without a pandemic you know, you have your coping strategies or mechanisms, or maybe you go out with friends or your family is your lifeline or you travel. That's how you can oftentimes cope with the difficult day. Essentially during the pandemic, all that's taken away. So you have to think now differently about how do you cope and how do you ever get out of the cycle when you be downtime? You know, we've tried to do lots of things to kind of keep our staff engaged, let them know that we care about them, but it's, it's hard. It's a personal piece for everybody. And I think those who stick with us through this 
a thing I, I actually just came from a, a group of nurses over at one of the hospitals talking to them about what things need to happen and where they're at. And one of the things they just kept repeating is that they love each other and they love their patients and they need to remember that. And that's why they're here. It is a precious field of work where people come because they want to care for people. Yes. Different than some other fields. Now you've done HR in other industries throughout and in different areas of the country. And healthcare HR is different. It's the same rules. It's the same way that you might solve problems, but it's a different industry because what we do is to help others to help others. And I think of even our IT counterparts who traditionally may not have thought of healthcare when they come over here from maybe the tech companies, they're amazed at the work they get to do from a technology perspective to really do better technology for our patients and innovative strategies for how we provide care differently. So everybody is in a different role, but they still are in it for the right reason. I think about this drive for purpose that people want not only a job to do, but that they also want to do something that matters, however they define what matters. I totally think that's true. And that's one of the things we hear from really all generations within the workforce, but the newer ones coming in, purpose matters. So that's actually a lot with, you know, you'll hear the great resignation out there that I think everyone's trying to do us specifically is remember why we're here and that we do have a purpose. And that is different than a lot of other industries. Not that everyone doesn't have a purpose, but we really do. So how do we connect that for people to understand the work they do matters and makes a difference? I remember a housekeeper years ago who would tell me that, you know, she cleaned those rooms because it was like her family member was there. Every room she cleaned and she had multiple mops she would use to clean the room. And we would ask her why. And she said, because that could be my parent, my family member, my community. I will clean that room to the best I can. And it's just those little things that, you know, your purpose could be any job. One of my lab leaders said to me years ago, when we look at the cultures and the specimens in the Petri dish, it's not just looking at the specimen through a science eye. That is a patient. Our Petri dishes of those specimens are a patient. That's a family member. And so, you know, you kind of figure out how do you tie those purposes to whichever discipline and, and make that. And I think during the pandemic, you know, in the early stages, that was really clear. And I think as it's gone on, that's made it harder for people to remember because it's just a tough time. So we're trying to figure out how do we reignite that and get that back. There's all the conversation about the great resignation and the talent available and the lack of it, as you said. People are leaving to take traveling roles because it helps pay their bills. They can put money in the bank. They can put their kids in that school they wanted to put them in, whatever the thing is. And so it's harder to get people in the door and keep them. What strategies are you using to develop your pipeline and how has that changed? Are you doing anything really innovative that you never even considered two years ago or five years ago? There's a little bit of both on that answer. A couple of things we were doing prior to pandemic and actually realized that those needed to be capitalized even further and expanded further since pandemic. So um, one of the programs that we did, which I'm pretty proud of, was we recognized CNAs, which are certified nurse assistants, are incredibly important in healthcare and frankly hard to find. They're the more entry level role into the nursing division that helps support the nurses. 
in that role, initially, I thought we had enough in our community because I would look at the enrollment from the different schools and we saw the enrollment was quite high. So you would think from the pipeline, you could then recruit and get those folks. But what we found when we dug deeper is the students in the schools were only taking a prerequisite for something else. So they were being designated as a CNA student, but in fact, they really had no intention of getting a CNA degree. So in kind of really thinking about that differently, I said, gosh, how could we expect CNAs where it's not the highest salary and they actually require a license, be able to go to school and afford it and not have an income? And that was a huge barrier in our community. So I worked really closely, our team did, with our community college and some folks who also know how to write grants. And we developed a program where I said, what if we could get CNAs who don't have it yet? We introduce them to healthcare. We can pay for their schooling while they're working and they do it at the same time with full benefits. And that's what we did. That's what we created. And so what was really cool about that was we took people who would never even think about healthcare and we provided them with an earning income that they could get while they were going to school, even during sometimes the work hours. So it was on site. So it was easy for them to do. And that partnership became really real. So at the end of the program, they now have a license. We move them into another role, but they were already benefited so they could at least take care of their family and have what they need and continue to grow. Well, we've then taken those cohorts and shown them the pathway that if they want to go and be a nurse, they can do that too. That program has become really popular to the point that we first started and we said, how are we going to find people and get them excited about this? And we did a Facebook ad of all things. And there was a mom, she had to take care of her kiddos. And for the first time, she was faced with having to go back to work for some family things that were going on in her life. So she saw this Facebook ad and said, gosh, this is too good to be true. Why would I get paid and be able to have a job and actually figure out what to do? Because she's at a crossroads in her life. So she answered the ad and she since then not only finished her CNA school, she went on to nursing. She finished her nursing school. She became a nurse with us and then wanted to do education. So you see these amazing stories of what can happen. So that program now... We actually have waiting lists for. So we're trying to figure out how do we continue to grow that. And we're showing retention within those programs. It's much higher than if we hire a CNA off the street, probably because there's the loyalty and the engagement of the hook with Renounce. Because of the successful and since the pandemic, we've decided that we could model that in a few other areas. So we just launched a similar program for medical apprenticeship for an MA. So medical assistants are the ones who work with the doctors primarily in the outpatient world. And we said, couldn't we do the same for them? And so we have. And again, that program has really been a very similar perspective of popularity. I love the idea. And the, and the term that comes to me is breaking generational poverty that many of the folks you have, maybe folks who never considered that college or an educational program even as an option in their lives, and you're now creating pathways that just wouldn't have existed, and those kiddos they're taking care of now have a pathway that probably wouldn't have existed for them either. It's true. And the other thing that's been really fun is I said, why can't we go down to the high school level? You know, we don't need to wait for people to graduate from high school. We have had great success going into the high schools and partnering with them and having them start earlier. So we've now done job shadowing and intern programs with high school students who are now also on those pathways who maybe weren't college kids initially and can come and pathway in. So we just had our first CNA out of high school. So she's super excited and doing amazing. But what we found in the high schools, which was interesting, 
a lot of these families and kids who maybe come from other areas, they don't think they could be in healthcare. They don't even understand that. So we had to actually work with some of the parents even to have them start to understand what that is. And one of our high school programs that's been really successful is where we take these kids and we just have them shadow and we get them to different departments and let them see what we do. And at the end, they actually have to do a speech, which freaks them all out, but they do phenomenal. And we invite their parents, we invite everyone to come so they can see these kiddos, describe their experience, describe who they got to meet. And we've had some that just through that, they're like, we want to go on the healthcare journey. So investing in your community and trying to go further down into earlier ages is really important, especially when there's not a lot of talent in the community. Granted, those are longer term strategies, but I think the engagement and the loyalty is longer and it helps build that camaraderie. And it helps build your community. Yes. It actually creates an economically healthier community. Yes. Can we go back a minute to the high school kids? I was on the board of trustees for a university, and one of the things that that university did was the programs that kids get credit for both high school and college classes concurrently, so that by the time they graduate from high school, they already have X number of credits. And in some cases, they're able to do the apprenticeship while they're in high school. So they would graduate and at 18 or 19 be employment ready. We are working on that. And if they do take the courses through TMCC, that does count as dual credit. So there are some of those that can do. I just think there's a lot more that we can actually expand on. We've been really impressed with the kids. They want to work. They want to do a good job. You know, you can see the growth in them right away. And when they're interested in these programs and we gain them early on, they're pretty engaged and they want to do the right thing, but they are supported by a support system. So when they're in school, they can, they can bounce things off their counselors and their teachers. And their teachers have been actually great advocates too. You know, they come to those graduation ceremonies when they have the kids speak and they've been a nice support structure to help them. I'm just thinking of how proud you would be if your life calling is educating young people to see that education pay off in front of your eyes. Yeah, exactly. And then the other thing that's been kind of fun that we did do switching gears slightly, they moved everyone remote that we could. For us, that was about 10% of our workforce. But within the first quarter, we made the decision it would remain remote. And that was really kind of an interesting strategy to take. But we had been pulse serving our staff so much and they actually loved the no commute. They loved being able to be from home and they were very anxious of when did I have to come back? Not necessarily just because of being fearful of the pandemic, but they liked being able to be home with their kids and be remote. So we thought that could take stress off of them if we could let them know right away that this, in fact, would be permanent. So we did a whole program project around that. We obviously tracked measurements and accountability and all that good stuff. That was widely popular was to do the remote work. Because we are Northern Nevada and had only been a Nevada organization, one of the things that we then realized was if we had staff who wanted to move out of state, because now you can work everywhere, that's never going to go back. Mm -hmm. That is here to stay. And so we were like, gosh, we don't want to lose the staff. And we didn't have the ability to pay them out of state and all the different laws and all that good stuff. So we did partner with the PEO just recently to then have the ability to do out of state anywhere for these same remote jobs. So that was different from the pandemic and something we would not have thought to do. But several of our current employees definitely took us up on that. They're moving to other areas of the country so they can be closer and they can still be employed by renown. And my recruitment team is thrilled because it's just opened up their talent pool for those remote jobs. So that is something that was definitely different from the pandemic. Some of our listeners may not know what a PEO is. What is it and how does it make this possible? 
basically it's a preferred employer organization, but it's where we could partner with them on kind of a co-employment strategy where they take care of all the pay, the benefits, the workers' comp, all the taxes, the different laws that are in place, but they're still employed by renowned. We wanted the relationship to be that it looked as much like a renowned employee as possible. Essentially, the other organization does kind of all the administrative function so that we don't need to create that capability in-house. We can partner with someone else who can do it better and knows it, but it expands our talent pipeline. So that's essentially what that is. Thank you. Because because building the capability to handle unemployment and whatever community taxes and... Yeah. And every state law has different employment law. So... That way, I don't have to have experts in every employment law. I know there's probably listeners on this that have global companies and already are national, but for us, we weren't. So that was an option for us to be able to still compete in those spaces without having to take on all of those capabilities. It's a really creative option. Yeah, it's been fun. I didn't think it'd be so popular, and it really is. And the recruiters are thrilled because we know people want new jobs. They want to change. We're experiencing it. Others are experiencing it. So if they want it and we can offer it without them moving, why not? It does create a different pipeline. One of my things I'm significantly committed to is creating options for people who didn't have options before. So whether it's you live in a rural area and you can't move because you have a spouse or kids or are caring for an elderly parent. People can now get solid jobs and still maintain the family commitments. So it's strengthening our family structures and also allowing people to professionally thrive when they had to choose one or the other. I totally agree with that. And, you know, just the fact when people had to have kids home, you know, that to your point and and you're right. Now there's multiple generations living in the household together. So how am I juggling all of that when I'm a sandwich generation for both my kiddos and my parents? It's a real challenge. And, you know, I think it's the first time in history that we have five generations in the workforce together. Those generations all have different needs. And, you know, we're really taking care of family units at this point. It's no longer just the employee, right? And as people live longer, we're going to have more employees who are 80 and above because we have a shortage of workers and creating programs that allow folks who may not want to work full time or even be able to, but they can work part time and still deliver huge value will be an interesting phenomena where you have a 90 year old kind of mentoring someone who's 20. Yeah. And we thought it was bad when it was three generations. <laughs> it's an interesting dynamic, although we have found with some of our older workers, that's exactly what they want to do. Their give back now is to teach and to educate. So trying to figure out how to capitalize on that portion of the workforce who absolutely are incredibly capable of doing They have knowledge that is unbelievable. How do we help them teach the newer generations and still keep them engaged if, in fact, they want to keep working? And that's one of the reasons that we offer part-time benefits that really are consistent with all of our other benefits because we know people have different needs in their in their life. And that allows us to capture both older workers as well as, frankly, younger workers who maybe it's a mom who wants to go on maternity leave but still wants to be able to work and now wants to take care of the baby too. So can you create those options for folks? Typically moms can be dads, but people with young children who may not want to work full-time but do want to stay engaged. And especially if you've invested significantly in a professional education to do these roles, you kind of need to stay current. Correct. And oftentimes we'll have people who want to then further their education. And so we'll let them reduce to part-time 
so that they can further their education, still work, still get their benefits, but enhance their growth as well. So as you're talking about that, that leads us into your investing in development for your people. Can you tell me a little bit about what you're doing and what's the business case for continuing to invest? And you've talked about that early on. Can we go a little further into it? One of the things, obviously, is you want engagement of your staff and retention. So, you know, the investment in them and they knowing that you invest in them is really important for staff. Generally, people want to learn and grow. That's an important piece for someone's career. So if as an employer, you don't offer it, they'll go somewhere else where they can potentially get it. So there's just the recruitment and retention piece. It's also, though, as an employer, a good business case that the more educated staff that you have, the higher that they can work in their profession, the more competencies they have. In healthcare for us, that means for us, people can work higher at top of license. We call it top of license, but it could be top of profession, where I'm not having to do menial tasks necessarily. They're important tasks, but maybe a different discipline can do that because now I have a different education level and I can focus on more critical thinking, problem solving, things like that. So For a business, you can take your workforce to do more meaningful work at a higher practice, if you will. And so I think that's the other business case for it. We offer traditional benefits that probably many already do, but we offer tuition reimbursement, of course, because we know people want to go to school. In our case, we've made it much wider than how most have. We don't limit it to a discipline. We don't limit it to an area because it could be really engaging for someone of something that's important to them. And they can maybe do that particular discipline in the community as a volunteer for something. So we've kept it broad purposely so that staff can be engaged in what's important to them. But we've also do loan repayment. And we were the first in our community to offer that. Initially, when we partnered with the vendor that we use, they had recommended that you do three years for a new employee to look back. And there was some criteria they used in only certain disciplines. And when we surveyed our staff, just to kind of get a pulse, we found staff that were 10 years with us who still had loans from school. So it would have been really ridiculous or hard for us to have only done the newer employees coming to us with loans. So we actually expand it to anybody who had a student loan. And what that allows them to do is essentially we pay a certain portion every month directly to that institution to pay off their student loans. So that's been a huge differentiator for us that we've done as well. And then we've, in addition to that, created several internal programs for growth and development. One thing that's really interesting to me, many organizations will support your education for your job. So if you're directly a physician's assistant, you can take things related to that, but nothing else. It sounds like you educate much more broadly and that increases engagement, increases loyalty, makes people more productive while they're there, even if you know they may leave. Yeah. Everybody has different interests in their life at different points in their life. And we want here at Renown for people to really think about their work as a career. And so what interests you at different points in your life you should be able to take advantage of and learn and grow because it just makes you stronger, I think, as a human being and it keeps your interest level there. So yeah, we've taken the more broad approach. I think that's the right thing to do. I mean, we've found people who, frankly, also took degrees and other things that we never knew and we were able to move them into other parts of the organization. So it's kind of a, a win-win from that standpoint as well. Do you have people who leave and choose to come back? It sounds like if they were a productive employee, you would allow them back. 
Yeah, of course. We're kind of in a unique geography up here in Reno, Nevada. So people who don't know us think we're like right by Vegas, which we're not. We're so separated from them. But it's a unique community. Once you get here, you really can like it. But if you've only lived here and haven't been anywhere else, you don't know what else there is. So there are those folks who want to spread their wings and see what else is out there. But frankly, we get a huge portion of rehires that do come back to us. So perhaps the grass wasn't as green or whatever. Matter of fact, I had my recruitment director just do a survey. I said, hey, let's take a look at the employees who left in the last 24 months and came back. And let's survey them as to why they came back and what was important to them. And we had huge engagement on that survey. Like they responded within 24 hours and said, because we love it here. It's like our family. We love the people we work with and we love the work we get to do. And so... While we may lose them, our hope is that we can get them back. We do a lot of what we call in the recruitment field boomerangs uh-huh. so that we can keep in touch with our alumni. And we do hope they will think about us when they're ready to settle down. Or when I mentioned Maureen earlier that some folks are leaving for travel, that's maybe not where they want to stay. So how do we, when they're done traveling and maybe they do want to settle back down, re-engage them back with renown? So we do have strategies around that. I was a consultant actually for 12 years and it was full-time travel. And that allowed me to earn more money than I would have early in my career that helped me get a house, helped me launch a life that would have taken much longer had I taken a different job. But the sacrifice was significant. It's not good for marriages, I can tell you, (laughs) that full-time travel. So people, I assume, are making the trade-off decisions depending on where they are in their lives. And I would say most of them are younger to the workforce individuals who maybe haven't yet started a family and want to go see, you know, and spread their wings. But I've also had true where people will leave to go take care of their family in a different state, and then they do end up choosing to come back. So we welcome them. Of course, not everybody, but for the most part, you want your good people back. And if they know what you have to offer and you've already been there, why wouldn't you open the doors for them? It seems intuitively accurate to me if they were good before especially if they left to go take care of family members, they'd be good again and even more loyal that you supported that choice. Exactly. You mentioned the culture is like a family. We love it here. What are you doing that creates that positive family rather than dysfunctional family experience? The main thing is they have a connection with each other. They know what their calling is. They know why they're here and they do support each other, the good, the bad, the ugly. And during this time, there has been all of the above. And the stories are tremendous about holding the hand of the loved one. And sometimes in cases, their own colleague, that's really, really hard for people to to come out of. But prior to pandemic, during, and hopefully even on the tail end of this, the one thing that they would say is they're there for each other. We encourage lots of team building. We encourage both in work and outside of work team building. We do walks and runs where people are out in the community and it's people will tease. It's a sea of purple. Purple's our color and we have purple shirts. And when we do the heart walk, it gets hundreds of our staff, like just doing these things together. We do lots of engagement surveys. We do lots of events. We have a big event and we did do it even in the pandemic, believe it or not, because I was like, we have to have a party, you guys. We can't, we got to keep the fun. We got to keep the fun. And we had about 1,500 employees attend and we just did a huge event. We did it safely in an ACES event, which is our local baseball team. So it was all outside. We did kind of a camping theme and all kinds of fun things that, that we did. We also do a program called Celebrate Amazing. So it's a platform that people can do e-cards for each other. They can do award levels where they get prizes and they can, you know, redeem for merchandise or things that they like. 
But we also take that and we do top talent of the quarter, top talent of the year. So a lot of those kinds of events, which I'm sure many callers on here do, but trying to make it unique and special. We still celebrate milestones, believe it or not. So when someone's at their five or 10 year, we make it a really big deal. And we actually even do yearbooks for them. <laughs> and so believe it or not, even one of my executive colleagues, she just hit her five year with Renown. And she's like, Michelle, I didn't think this was going to be such a big deal, but I love my yearbook because people upload pictures and sayings. And, you know, it's just kind of a fun thing to say, we honor you and we're appreciative that you're here with us. It sounds like a positive tone all the way around. And I realize, especially in healthcare, you said people are dealing with dying. So the reality is tough and you must work incredibly hard to create the environment that also recognizes at every opportunity the success, the positive, the win, takes the opportunity to celebrate people and their contribution to the organization. We really do try, and the leaders actually do a really good job of this. I think they're closer to it. You know, they know their teams, they know their areas, and they're doing some pretty creative things too to try to keep people engaged, whether it's as simple as a a potluck or just writing recognitions to people, writing personalized thank you notes, believe it or not, that's a huge deal. People save those. And just really doing heartfelt thank yous and being there for each other. But it is tough right now. I mean, while I'm painting all the positive things we do, which we do, and people enjoy it. They're, you and Puff staff, they are tired. But even in that tired, they know they love it here and they know they love the people, but it is tough. So we are, we are like everybody, trying to come out of that and kind of get people re-engaged and refocused and remembering the fun and why we're here. So it is an effort constantly. It never goes away. Uh-huh. You know, you have to kind of stay on top of it and have the pulse. We, we did do quite a few pulse surveys recently, which we normally wouldn't do so regularly, but we feel like we need to keep on top of what the sentiment is that's out there. I have worked with clients who would say, why am I supposed to recognize people so often they get paid to be here, right? We're busy. Why are we doing this stuff? And I realize not everyone thinks that, but I am surprised that some very successful people still take that stance of, we hire good people, they're all working hard, so why do I need to write you a personal note? That's tough. And maybe because we're in healthcare, it's different. I don't know. But for the most part, I think people really do understand the thank yous. It's because what they deal with. I mean, even our president and CEO, frankly, he's really good about it. Any email he gets, any comment, he responds to everyone. And I think that sets the tone from the top that really we all have to kind of help model that way. And are we perfect every day? No, of course not. Do we try and do we stumble and fall? I'm sure we all do. But I think how you recover and are just humble and transparent is what I think has worked. I am a big fan of the underlying theories of positive psychology. And you mentioned the personal notes. I met with someone who I had admired through my career. She took time to do an interview with me. I flew to Chicago. It was a big deal for me. And I got a note from her And that was such an important note. It's still sitting in my kitchen. Yeah, it's like the power of that is so, it's so important and it could have such an impact, yet it's nothing. It doesn't cost people anything to do it. You know, I think everybody is throwing money at it and frankly, we will be too, I'm sure. But it's not just that. Like, and if you ask the staff, sure, they'll point to money in some pockets. And when you're more tired and you're more burned out and you're overstepped, you're going to point to that. But it's those things that matter too. Just thank you and and do kind of that additional thought. 
sometimes I'll send things to the spouses of the family member. You know, thank you for letting your spouse be with us and taking time away from your family to do that. And that's been really successful too. And it has to be genuine, of course. You can't just do it and pretend, you know, it has to be meaningful. But I think that the power of that is really big. And, you know, unfortunately, we still have had people not be quite their best selves during this pandemic because everybody is really quite stressed. And so we've kind of had this thing, I said, just meet people where they are and give them grace. Because if we know this isn't who they normally are and they've maybe lost their minds today, let's take the time to find out why and what was really the underlying that has been actually really hard to do, but it's, I think, the right thing to do. And we have to kind of remind each other of that. What a beautiful sentiment, because someday we all need gross. There's stuff going on for everyone. A hundred percent. And and you don't know what's going on with people unless you actually talk to them, you know. And this is where the mental health piece comes in for me, that the incidence of anxiety and depression, it's shocking the frequency we're now seeing of this. Mm-hmm. I assume has to be more challenging in the healthcare arena because you're actually seeing people die. I'm delivering an IT leadership training. I don't have the same exposure to watching someone slip away and their family members on the other side of a window and can't touch them. I mean, that stuff just has to be heartbreaking and it it hasn't stopped. That is really, really hard for people, for sure. I mean, even outside of the pandemic, they deal with death, right? But now you've got that and you've got it with some of maybe your own colleagues or family members, all of the above. So yeah, it's it's really taking a strain. And then, you know, the other thing that we keep hearing is, you know, it's about the family for them because their kiddos are not doing good in school or are stressed or frankly have other tendencies. So there's a whole wraparound approach that we have to do all the way around. The mental health is real, and I don't think we've even seen the surface of it yet. I would tend to agree. One of the people I work with is a brain researcher. She works significantly with military veterans, kind of the special forces, and and the idea that they can function while they're in theater, and then they come home, and when people's lives aren't counting on them, then they collapse. And that idea that they have so damaged their brains and their their psyche, that recovery process is significant. What do they say usually when you have that traumatic event? Take them out of the traumatic event. They need to heal. And these healthcare workers, for a large degree, are getting out of it. So trying to get them to do different departments, different units, different areas where they can see it. You know, going back to what you said, though, about not being able to be there with the family member when someone's going through that. We did obviously have that as well. I don't even know how you would handle that experience. Like that is really, really tough. I do feel very fortunate that early on, and this is another credit, frankly, to our CEO and our executive team, but we had letters from patients that said, I I needed to be with my family. I can't believe I couldn't do that. And our CEO took the stance and said, healing is about the family. And we're not going to not let a patient supporter back in. Mm. And we were the first hospital that allowed patient supporters for that exact reason. They're there. To be honest with you, that made a big difference for our staff too. Mm. But yeah, they want to be able to have their family loved ones there. I mean, our our staff have even done such phenomenal things over the years that prior to pandemic, someone was dying and they wanted to get married. They have set up weddings in the hospital ICU so that these people can get married if that was their last wishes. Wow. It's a beautiful upside to what has to be incredibly challenging. Yeah. And like I said, I can only say that we try to help support those who support others. But I can't imagine because I'm not even in those roles. And that, that is a difficult spot to be. But I am incredibly proud of the team. 
they've done really good work and they frankly continue to do so. It sounds like all the way up to the CEO, the decisions are so patient centric. They really are. I mean, I'm sure we don't do everything perfect all the time, but where we have an error or mistake or do something, it's all about trying to fix it and make it right. And it is patient centric. Everything we do, we have patient care committees that we involve our patients in. And I think that stuff makes a difference too. And that is about being a community hospital and a not-for-profit. And and we allow our patients to be involved and give us feedback. You know, they should. And not just your traditional surveys, you know, how do they help us for things that we want to provide going forward? And, And of course, our staff to be involved in that as well. We have some listeners who may be in other areas of HR or even non-HR who are just struggling to get through crisis after crisis after crisis. And again, in healthcare, you're kind of tip of the spear in a lot of this because you're dealing with people dying, supply chain issues, getting PPE, family members who are angry. The science is changing and we didn't have it right to begin with because we didn't know. So you've got all of these things, probably more than many people are facing. How do you keep up with it? Mm, that's a good question. <laughs> I try to live by my own advice of hopefully being humble and kind and giving people grace and patience, frankly. And what I've done when it's really hard day is like, like I try to find the things that I love to give back to and fill my bucket in those ways. And so whether it's I get home and I get to be with my kiddos or my family or when I'm here at work, the people I work closely with going and doing something for them. And when things are really, really hard, like this sounds crazy, but what's a new cool project that we can go launch that can make a difference somewhere? So trying to find the areas because we also have to future plan. Like we can't just be talking about the pandemic all the time. My team was teasing me because I've been telling them, guys, we're, we're out of this. And, you know, so now it's kind of this running joke with my team. But I said, we really are. And it's really more whether we are truly or not, it's how we look at it. It's how we choose to frame that. So let's focus on the positive. Let's focus on those things we can control and let's plan for the fun and doing more innovative things that we know help our team and others. So that's probably how I survive. I have a really great executive team that I get to confide and work with, which that's been really fantastic. And, you know, I get to hear the amazing employee stories, which keeps you energized. And then I'm fortunate enough to have a phenomenal HR team that I'll tell you what, push comes to shove, those guys are all together and they'll do it. So they've been really, really phenomenal. So that that's probably for me what's what's kept it going. I have enjoyed working with Connex and other groups as well relative to HR camaraderie across. So hearing things outside of healthcare and hearing outside of our community what others are going through so that you don't feel alone. So for people for whom this series is new and don't know Connex, who are they and what do they do? Well, Connex is a group that essentially they allow you to have networking with other like roles across the nation. And Connex is different that they do all industry. So it's not just healthcare. And so they've put together different topics that we might be interested in as HR professionals, whether it be burnout, recruitment, compensation, whatever the topic is, we help facilitate those ourselves and really just get an opportunity to hear what others are doing and kind of share best practices. They also introduce us to different business groups, if you will, or solutions for your businesses, which has been really fun too, because you wouldn't often get exposed to some of these different organizations that have a niche to them that really could help be a business solution. And they try to tailor to the things going on in your organization and your strategies 
for business solutions that you might be interested in. Thank you. I assume that a lot of people belong to like Vistage and organizations like that, that what you're doing with Connex is an alternative to that kind of group in that you're both learning from other peers and building relationships so that when something comes up, you now have colleagues around the country so you don't have to know someone down the street who may not be in a similar business. Yes. And the learning and growing, like we all want to do that so you can learn things as well. And I've been able to like give that to some of my colleagues to attend certain things, my team, which they've enjoyed. <laughs> That's a kind of another crazy thing with this pandemic. But if you think about learning and growing, which we do, I mentioned earlier, a lot of internal programs. And one of them in our, what we call Enrich You is a leadership and training program. And we also do a high potential program. And in both of those, we had stopped one of the cohorts, possibly two during the pandemic, because everybody was busy and we thought, well, we don't want to create more chaos for them. And ironically, learning and growing is what everyone really still wanted to do and was hungry during the pandemic. So that was kind of a lesson learned. So while I'm still trying to get my own learning, everyone wanted that too. So it was evident from a couple of things. We took our employee engagement survey and those who had attended those programs had tend to have higher engagement than the rest of the organization. So that showed a good positive outcome. And secondly, in the cohort that we just opened for our leadership and training program, we normally take about 20 people and it's a competitive process to get into that program. We had over 70 applications this time hmm. and that was huge for us. And I was like, wow, people really are hungry for learning and growing. So lesson learned on my end, I probably would not have stopped those programs. We would have pushed through because I feel like there's some pent up opportunity for growth. And frankly, when you're in a strategic situation of trying to do good succession planning, we may have lost some ability to have really continued that pipeline by not growing our own. I thought that was kind of an interesting learning. But then I said, okay, you better get the classes bigger than 20 because I don't want to disengage folks. So we're going to try to figure out how to creatively make it bigger, which we can't take all. But I said, because those others want it, we're going to try to do some additional enhanced learning separately than them actually getting in the program just so we can keep that engagement alive. I did a program for a safety net hospital in Minneapolis during the pandemic, and we just skinned down the program. And it was largely physicians who were the ones who were most burned out and most exhausted. But to your point, they opted in. They weren't told to go. They weren't sentenced to it. This was a choice, and it was surprising how many people, just the collaboration with their colleagues, really created value and the collaboration around learning, and that the cohort-based learning in-house helped elevate enough of the team that it also changed the culture. See, I think that's so important, and I, I wish we would have kept doing them more aggressively, even if they had to be virtual because we thought the same thing. They wouldn't be able to do it. You know, they're so busy, but they're hungry for that. That helps satisfy the wheel of different things that you need to be enriched. We actually, I did bring in a, a speaker virtually for our providers, ironically, when you mentioned providers. It was about burnout. And I thought, oh, surely they're not going to attend. You know, they're so busy. And it was widely successful. Even something simple like that, that someone heard them understood them as a doctor to doctor who wasn't from our community, who could talk about burnout. 
and that the burnout wasn't just with them, but what they were experiencing with their families. So when a provider goes home after the day and the significant other just wants to decompress with them, well, they're still stressed and they're stressed to not get them ill. They're stressed not to, you know, give them, you know, the bad things that happened during that day, all the things combined. And we thought, gosh, that was an interesting dynamic to learn about too. That's a whole nother piece to explore. But I I think the learning and, and growth is huge, even in a crazy time. So that was a lesson learned for me. To build on that, the work I did with this organization was all virtual. Some could do it on their day off. We did it during lunch because everyone's on clinic. And we did a shorter duration session so people could get there between clinic and still have a bite to eat and go back to clinic. So the virtual thing in this case worked, where in in the past, I think the same organization would have expected in person. Yes. And I think that's been kind of a nice piece about the pandemic, too, is that we are going to do work differently. I mean, there is no going back. Mm -hmm. And we should leverage the good capabilities and the good things that we've learned through the pandemic and technology is one of them. You know, you don't have to have every meeting in person. You can leverage a lot and get to bigger audiences virtually. We're trying to figure out what that right balance is, though, because I also think if you miss the personal connection, you can't always get that through Teams or Zoom or whatever it is. And Teams and Zoom fatigue is real. Earlier on, when we were all remote all the time, at least for the administrative roles that could, we realized how much more tired we were at the end of the day. And I think it was just because when you're in person, your brain picks up way more cues from people than when you're on the screen and you're trying to constantly toggle and see what those different things are and your brain, I think, is more tired. And so that balance, I think, is important. The other thing someone said, and I thought was so true, where on earth did we have to see ourselves all day on screen? (laughs) And so just that, you don't hold up a mirror to yourself when you walk around the supermarket all day. And so now we've changed this dynamic that you see yourself on screen all the time. Now you can turn it off and I think people have learned what's the right cadence on that. But that's just an interesting dynamic too about we should leverage what we've learned and really figure out how to capitalize that. But I think we also need to figure out how to bring the human part back in some of it. I don't think it can all be leveraged virtually, long-term anyway. Yeah, my COO is working in the other room right now, and she lives several states away. And what we found is being in person for us probably one week a month is the right cadence because she doesn't live locally. So like your other folks who are have taken a job elsewhere, you can't get in every Wednesday necessarily. So we found a cadence that works because... I'm not going to do Zoom calls all day. I'll turn my camera off and go walk because I get distracted by email like most people do when you're on Zoom. For eight hours a day, you're going to check email and do other stuff. So for us, it's one week a month. And to your point, as much as I want this to work remote completely, it is a reality of being in the same room or down the hall from each other that does facilitate more effective work sometimes. I think that's true. And so it's finding the balance for sure. And like with my HR team, we get together at least every other week in person and everyone actually looks forward to that. So even though they're technically remote workers, we've set up hoteling and all kinds of sites so that even remote worker can come in because everybody needs a break. I mean, you also want to get maybe out of the house, right? So we did set up all those hoteling stations and we've encouraged teams that, you know, you do need to figure out what's the right cadence for your group. Now, I have some departments 
and some disciplines that they're perfectly fine being remote all the time. But you take HR or marketing, we're probably not. We're people people. We want to be with, with our team. So I think it's just figuring out what that balance is. I work a lot with technology folks, and they seem to be more inclined to more autonomy. Yes, and they are. That's the same as experience in our IT group as well. They're perfectly fine with it. And actually, they're probably happier, to be honest. So we're trying to not push things that don't make sense and be, you know, really, I think the new workforce is going to be all about flexibility, whether it's remote, whether it's hybrid, whether it's part-time, temporary. I want to work at a bunch of different companies. Ultimate flexibility, I think it's going to be the name of the game in the future. How we pivot all that in healthcare, we have yet to determine. But I think in the areas where we can, I, I think that's what it's about. I mean, it started before the pandemic with the Ubers and, you know, all of those different kind of gig workforces, but it's here to stay. From what I'm seeing, I absolutely agree. You know, to be interesting, do you have people who actually prefer to be in the office? Because I do talk to some folks who, you know, maybe they live in a small place or they have a baby in the other room and it's... yes. We do. I mean, when I mentioned to you that we moved 10% of the workforce off for remote permanently, there were exceptions that we made to that because the isolation was real for a few people. Like that was really real despite us trying to, you know, do what you can on teams and do team building and all that good stuff. And so, no, we brought them in because that isolation was too real for them. And for whatever the reason, we've had a few others. And so, yeah, there are some people that is not for them. <laughs> and I think we have to be open to that as organizations because, I think in a couple of cases, I'm thinking of it would have been a detriment if we left him remote. My husband partner goes to work every day and he runs an organization. He doesn't have to. It's just his preference. Yeah. I like being in the office and most of my peers are here, but even throughout the heart of it, I was pretty much in the office every day. I like the office. Of course, when I was at home in the very early stages, I had a son at home and my husband always has worked from home prior to pandemic. And I'm like, I can't. You guys are going to be. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There's that too. <laughs> I thought I would hate it. I've lived alone for a long time. I'm now sharing a home with, with Mike. And I thought I would not enjoy it. And I really, I was surprised. It was really good. Yeah. But not everyone. Not It's not for everyone, for sure. But I think, I think that's the challenge that we're going to have, you know, in the workforce and with HR is just finding out what's that right balance. And you know, we've had to do a lot of training of our leaders who lead remote workers because that was a whole new thing. And while I know a lot of industries had always done that, I think healthcare was probably late to that game. And so you've got leaders who they're used to being right there with their teams and in some cases, perhaps micromanaging them. And so it's a whole new world that it's not where they do their work. It's just that the work gets done. And so that's been kind of an evolution, if you will. Although I think some leaders, as any change, adopted great and quick and actually excelled, and some had a little more struggle. So, you know, you have to figure out what interventions work with the different audiences. It certainly does require a different set of skills because, well, leader and employee, if I can, again, stick my head in and say, how are you doing versus somebody's going to struggle for a couple of days because they don't feel comfortable asking for help. Yes, that's exactly right. It's the setting expectations and the criteria up front. In the early days, you know, I had told my whole team, no, your cameras will always be on and this and that. And then we realized, now we call it no mascara day. And that means it's okay to have your camera off because maybe you got too many other distractions in the world and we're going to give you, we're going to give you grace on that. And then there's some meetings where I say, no, this this one's a camera on day. <laughs> so, yeah, I do the same thing. There are some people with whom I meet that I never turn my camera on. 
we have agreed to do walking meetings. And even in Ohio right now, it's probably about, depending on where you are, six to 10 inches of snow. And we both did a walking meeting together this morning. And knowing that she is out freezing her fanny off gets me to go out and do it too. <laughs> there is that motivation. Like we knew, like despite the pandemic, we actually, through all of this, we should learn to take care of our health, right? Like that was the most important thing. So we are trying to encourage all those healthy behaviors as well. Michelle, thank you so much. And I also want to thank Connex for sponsoring this conversation and for inviting you to be our brilliant guest. Thank you. I'm not sure about the brilliance part, but I enjoyed the conversation, Maureen. And I appreciate you letting me speak to a little bit about what we're doing. And I love to hear what others are doing as well. So I don't claim to have all the answers. I just hope maybe a few tips that might be beneficial so that we can all help each other. If we have a listener who'd like to learn more about what you're doing, how would they reach you? Probably the best way is I'm on LinkedIn. So that would probably be the best way to find me at Sanchez Bickley. And through that is my email for work at Renown. They can always reach me directly at Renown. Thank you so much. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. Please continue to listen. And thank you for the work you're doing in the world to make our lives better as we navigate the current challenges. Thank you. Thank you.